extraordinary districts in extraordinary times. Hi, this is Karen Chenoweth from the Education Trust. In this podcast series, we've been talking with educators we know are thoughtful and effective to hear how they are coping with the unprecedented closure of their school buildings and how they're planning for the future. Today, June 25th, my colleague Tanji Reed Marshall and I are circling back to talk with a superintendent we spoke with earlier this season, Dr. Corey Miklas, superintendent of Seaford Public Schools in Delaware. faced real problems in ensuring that all students had a basic connection to school. Seaford's towns are surrounded by rural areas with no Wi-Fi service. We're going to talk about what, if anything, has happened since we last talked and what they're thinking about for the fall. Welcome, Dr. Miklas. I hope you and your family are safe and healthy. Yes, we are. Thanks for having me. I saw there was a real spike in COVID cases in uh, Sussex County, Delaware, where Seaford is. More than 4,500 people have been confirmed to have COVID and 176 people have died. That's in a rather small rural area. I presume the cases are centered in the chicken plants where the parents of many of your students work. Have your families and staff been affected? Uh, Yes, they have been. And, you know, working through this, one of our goals was to uh, make sure we kept in contact with our families. And when, you know, I would hear from our principals when they were making contact with families, sometimes it became harder and harder. Also, we had, you know, daily food truck stops to, you know, six to eight different locations. And we would notice those numbers were going down at times. And it was all related to the virus, Um, whether families were sick or they were just scared to come out. So there were some areas we did have to work through. Well, that sounds pretty tough. I Googled around a bit to see if people in your area had reacted to the murder of George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter movement. And I saw there was a demonstration in Georgetown, which isn't too far away. It's your county seat. That didn't really surprise me much. Delaware has had kind of a long history of community action, but it made me think just how widespread the reaction has been. Our last conversation, we talked with Sonia Santalisa, CEO of Baltimore City Public Schools, and she said she's going to have to rethink some of the curricula and instruction for the fall to include more inclusive history and literature to help students make sense of this moment. Have you been able to think along those lines yet? Yeah, we have. We um I know that just in Seaford alone, there was a there was a march that was done. Um, actually, this evening, I'm going to be a part of a community conversation around this. And you know, as a district, we have really focused. Even uh, well, this is my sixth year in Seaford, and with Mr. Parrington, the old uh, superintendent, he really focused on equity. And you know, we reconfigured our schools to ensure the demographics uh, were aligned amongst all four of our elementary schools. And then the other piece that uh, we did was, especially at the elementary level, and we, we work with Sharon Walpole in the Bookworms curriculum. The text that she chose for that curriculum really helps us be as diverse as possible. That's a small step forward. But with that being said, if you take a look at just state assessment scores the last few years, you're able to see that our minority students are outperforming some of our other groups in our district. 
when we first came on board, we were under Focus Plus, which, which is a label from the state of Delaware, where um, you know we had subgroups of students, African American, low income, that were performing well below state average, et cetera. We were also on an ELL improvement plan, which meant that for years- our That's e- English language learners. Correct. For years, that subgroup was performing well below level. And through that equity work and we really we went over we went with a, a hashtag of success for all students because it was important for us. We did have some groups that were doing well, but it was not every student in our district. We really tried to focus in to make sure that all groups were receiving this high quality um, instruction on a daily basis. We analyzed our curricular materials. So a lot of the work that's been done in the district, it really sets us up for the success we've had, but also to address some of the issues we're facing now. We still have a lot of work to do. We still have work to do analyzing curriculum at our secondary schools um, to ensure that that's diverse. Um, we've, all, we've already been in conversations from a curriculum and instruction department of when we analyze textbooks, what lens are we looking? What are we looking for? You know, we're setting up rubrics for that, and we're in the very beginning stages, but it's it's something that's really on our minds right now. So one of the things that uh, Dr. Santalisa said was that she she went to a protest in Baltimore, and the high school students, some of them were demanding to read more, know more, learn more about history and, and literature, and of course, Baltimore being... Baltimore, it, ha- it, it, it alone has an enormously rich uh, history that can be drawn on, but Delaware being Delaware, Delaware also has a, a rich history that can be drawn on. And um, I was wondering if some of the students were getting involved in these conversations or, or whether this was still a kind of central office educator conversation. So we've had internal conversations with just district office at this point, and we've we've reached out to our uh, elementary and, and secondary school administrators, and we've had some conversations there. But they've also jumped down to with their staff, um, and they've begun to have these conversations. And they've had some real strong, powerful um, conversations together that, in my opinion, are going to help us can grow as a district. And at the high school level, I know some staff have had conversations with their students as well. It hasn't been organized from the district level down, but these conversations are starting to happen and will will need to continue to happen into next school year. I I actually think this is a wonderful moment when, uh, when people kind of recognize how important knowing our history is. Um, in order to be able to move forward. So I wish you luck with that. But I I wanted to ask you uh, about something you talked about in our last conversation, which is that in part because you were facing this real difficult, uh, these difficulties in reaching all your students, the district adopted One Book, One Seaford. And I wanted to find out how that's going. You know, um, we've been through the book. We have. you know, a lot of our administrators took turns actually recording themselves on Zoom. I read the um, the intro. I read another chapter, um, and basically each administrator took another chapter to read out loud. And we would post that on our on our sites for families if they wanted to use that. We also sent home storyboards with activities that they could be engaged in. 
And then we also took it a little bit further and we actually shared this, um, some of the book with some, some of our community leaders because we wanted them to be a part of this as well. We got positive feedback on it. Um, it was just a nice way to keep everyone connected around uh, the same topic, same book, et cetera. So it was an idea, again, that one of my principals had, and it really, I thought it was wonderful. It really helped bring the community together. Well, and I thought, I thought the, the, uh, the book choice was inspired. It was, um, it, you didn't want to share it last time because you were having trouble getting copies, but yes. The Boy Who Harnessed the Wind, yes. uh, which is about a young man in Malawi who was a tinkerer, right? And he just tinkered his way to building a windmill that would irrigate the farms. And what I love, one of the things I loved about it was that it showed some real agency on the part of a young person to just kind of, you know, pick up odds and ends and buttons and wires and, you know, battery parts and just kind of invent his way to uh, helping his, his family and his neighbors. And I just thought that was wonderful. Have you seen any kids doing stuff like that? Yeah. So we, um, some of our teachers actually put out a challenge to, for some of the Zooms, you know, let's see kind of some of the things you guys can create at home. You know, we have students who may use dominoes to knock something over to help their, the dog food get into a bowl. That was a video that came across my, uh, uh, my computer. And we tried to have as much fun with this as possible. Just with that remote learning, online learning, Zooms, it gave the students another outlet to do some things, but us to still be connected. It was a lot of fun. It really was. So I, I, I did really think that was a wonderful thing. So are you seeing any kind of statewide efforts or any kind of political efforts that would ensure that all your students would have Wi-Fi access in the fall? Yeah, so we've been we work closely with the um, our Department of Education, and what we've done, um, they've asked they've asked for specific addresses of of families who can't access the internet. So we've been we've been really diving in and creating spreadsheets, you know, with our our needs, and we submitted those to the Department of Education, and then they're working with um, some other companies, some other um, internet companies, to go out and actually take a look at the area. Um, they know it's a priority from the, from the governor's office down, especially in the Western side of the County. So they are trying to work hard this summer and trying to make this happen for us. And then you get into, all right, so we're now going to have the internet option, but families still have to afford it. So now we're working through that too. And I expect districts, um, I, if we are going to be remote next year, we're going to have to figure out a way to help support families whether it be financially or working directly with the internet company to get them the internet access so we can do the work online. Moving now toward your, your thoughts about the fall, um, about the fall, what are you thinking? Are you thinking in person? Are you thinking partially in person hybrid? You know, everybody's got all kinds of different plans. And I know you had a lot of stuff that you were considering the last time we talked. Have you come to any conclusions? You know, it's funny. I think if you if you called me for the next five days in a row, I would probably have a different answer for you. <laughs> Fair enough. And it's it just sometimes I feel like we're going to be back to normal. And I, I don't even really like using that word normal, but back to face to face. 
Um, and then the next day I'll watch a news report or read something. And I'm like, oh my gosh, there's no way we're going to be able to come back. Our state and the Department of Education has put together three working groups that will hopefully by the middle of July submit recommendations to um, the Secretary of Education. And they're like an operations group, health and wellness, and then like an academics group. And they have, they meet, these groups meet Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And um, they're, they're live streamed on a YouTube channel. And I've, what we've done as a district is we've assigned um, some of the directors to be, we're, we're mirroring those same groups in our district. So I've had some directors listening in on, on those meetings because as soon as we start hearing um, some of the recommendations coming out, we then have to put a district plan together. And, you know, when you really think about it, if we're face to face, we'll be pretty good with that. If we're remote, 100 percent remote, we're probably about 80 percent there. We got to we got to focus on things like how are we going to um, do attendance? Um, what's the accountability for student work look like? Grading like we got to work through some of those kinks. The real question is, if you go to this hybrid format. Because in that hybrid format, there's probably about 50 to 100 different scenarios you could work out. Are you going to go on an A-B day? Are you going to go a week on, week off? Um, will seven, will six through 12 be remote? And then you spread your elementary students throughout all the buildings in your district. You know, we've been planning, planning. And sometimes when you plan like this, because it's so unknown, you, educators will begin to get a little frustrated. So we're sort we're going to take a little break right now. And and just wait for some recommendations. But we have we have enough rough draft information that we're going to be able to go and really put a good product out there no matter how, no matter what the direction may be. How are families, and this might affect you as well, how are families going to manage if if they have one kid who goes a couple mornings on Mondays and Wednesdays and another kid who goes Tuesdays and Thursdays, are they going to be able to manage the kind of supervising this kind of coming and going? Yeah, that's, uh, to me, that's the biggest question mark because you can have the best instructional academic plan ever, but you also you have to think about your families and whether this makes sense for them. How are they going to be able to do daycare if their student goes on a Monday, Wednesday, Friday, one week, and then a Tuesday, Thursday, the next week? Is it better to do a week on, week off? And maybe that's not the best instructional model, but maybe it's a better fit for families. And that's kind of the give and take we got to really figure out because, you know, I've actually had daycare providers in the in the community call me wondering what we're going to do. Are they going to, and they're wondering, should we offer before school care, after school care? Because just like schools and cleaning, they're going to have to do a lot of cleaning and you know, their numbers will be down, but they have parents calling them as well. The daycare and, and for families is a real big question mark. So it's, we all have to work together on this because, uh, you know, parents need to work and children need to go to school. But what does that look like in the, in the time of COVID? I'm not quite sure yet. So Ed, Ed Trust's president, John King, told a U.S. panel a couple of weeks ago that school districts are unable to plan properly for the fall because they don't know if their budgets will be cut or shored up by federal money. And it strikes me that the Senate seems to be working on this issue in a rather leisurely fashion. Are you able to 
plan in terms of your budget? Can you, are you ordering PPE? Are you ordering sinks? Are you, you know, what are, are you able to figure out the finances of this? So it's the finances we feel pretty comfortable with for this coming school year. Honestly, it's the year after I have, I have more concern about. It, so even if the money's there, PPEs are, are still hard to get. So you have to order these things. You have to be able to track them down. Um, again, we're working with the state on some of this. Delaware is, is, is lucky when you're a small state. A lot of it, you know, we all work together on a lot of issues like this, bulk orders, et cetera. So that will help us out. Um, but even when you think about technology, if we want, if we need to bring that in, we know that we're not the only district. Everyone's going after technology right now. So how long is that going to take to come in? So we are, we're more concerned about when we're able to actually get the materials than we are paying for them at this point. I just think this, you are, you are sitting at the top of a really complex problem. I appreciate the thoughtfulness and, and the way you're kind of sharing your thought process, I think is really, uh, really valuable. Tangie, I uh, wonder if you have any questions. I've been monopolizing. No, I was really struck by uh, the conversation around the curriculum. We keep hearing the push for new eyes on the curriculum new thoughts, the willingness to go in and dig and look. And when he talked about, you know, Dr. Nicholas talked about what's happening at the secondary level, we really have a lot of work to do. Um, We measure students on a a multitude of, of issues and factors and components, but are we actually giving them the best opportunity to decide the knowledge elements that we value? You know, we have been selling students a certain body of knowledge, um, and you and I have had this conversation a lot. There's some knowledge that we that has been intentionally left out that students are now calling for. You know, they're you know we talked about what happened with uh, Dr. Santalisa's students. They're demanding. They are exercising their agency to demand more knowledge. You know, it was doing focus groups in New York and Rhode Island last year in Rhode Island, this year in New York. Students were asking us the question, why are we learning the same thing? I've been learning since third grade. You know, why am I still being taught about Columbus? Why am I only learning about certain people? And so to hear this discussion about curriculum warms my heart. Um, love to, I kept saying, oh, I want to be a fly on the wall when they start having those conversations and, and looking at the rubrics and things like that to, to really help shape some of these conversations. And that's really important. You know, one of the things we do best here at, at Trust is open the door for the conversation and push the thinking. And so, you know, well, looking forward to what they produce in Delaware on this. Yeah, Dr. Miklas, we, we are really going to be, um, Asking to to understand to what understand goes your on, process. right? Right. Yeah. You know, to no, because I think it, yeah, it's important. It's so. Important. It is important, and it and I I think one of the one of the things that people may not realize is how complex the history of Delaware is, especially Lower Delaware, which is where you Southern Southern Delaware, and um, I'll just do a little plug for my. Uh, the podcast because I was not really aware of some of the complexities of uh, Lower Delaware and 
Um, I delved into it in a special edition of Extraordinary Districts called Segregation, Integration, and the Milford 11 mm-hmm. that was inspired by learning about Seaford um, because I, th- I, I had not been aware of, of some of the history. And I'm sure some of the teachers, some of the residents, some of the, some of the students are also not that aware of the history because we have not done a good job in this country of really focusing on our history and allowing it to inform what we think about our present. So I appreciate that you are leading this conversation and also following it, right? You're, you're um, allowing this conversation to happen in the schools and then uh, kind of responding to it. So I think that's really valuable that you're able to do that. Yeah, and and again, we are really we we probably been working on this for the last two three weeks. You know, we had some committees that we were going to launch in regards to we were calling them climate and culture committees, trying to involve um, community members. But really, we're going to repurpose that and retitle some of those committees and really focus in on just culture and climate, but also our whole school and how our students feel when they're coming to school and have some real honest discussions around this. Um, and it's uncomfortable. There's no doubt about that. But these are the conversations that we need to that they need to happen. We need to hear everyone's voice. Yeah, I, I'm struck by your by the by the by the somberness of the tone that we're hearing. Um, and and you hit it on the head. These conversations are difficult. They are challenging, and they lend themselves to avoidance. <laughs> they lend themselves to, you know, people getting sick and, you know, not wanting to engage. And so, so excited to hear your push and your willingness to challenge people to really lean into this, to do what's right for students. You know, if we really say we care about students and this is what's necessary for them to really get a sense of where they want to be and what kind of school they want to go to and attend and learn from. You know, just uh, just one other thing I, c- I can share, and I'm proud of this. The last two nights, we held outdoor graduation. So we had about 190 graduates. And um, we work with the state and our buildings and grounds coordinator, who's an amazing, an amazing employee. Just all of the guidelines that had to be followed last night, we split our graduating class up in half. Um, we had certain parking lots. We staggered arrival. We had seats spread out, whether you be in the sands, in the bleachers, or on the um, field, six feet apart. Um, we had a large screen TV um, just to make sure people could see who were sitting far farther away because of um, social distancing. But you know, this is a time where you had a valedictorian, you had principals, you had myself, who all gave speeches. We all talked a lot about perseverance. Um, we talked about the crazy time under COVID, and a lot of us talked about the world that we're in right now. And my message was more around the the, um, the topic of you need to make a difference in your community. You need to make a difference in everything you do in the workforce, your family, et cetera. And I said, be a part of the solution. Mm-hmm. We, can't, we can't stand around admiring the problem anymore. Let's be a part of the solution. And and I felt that that was enough said to really, you know, that's what I'm looking for. Sitting around and talking and admiring the problem gets us nowhere. Let's really have an honest conversation to try to get better. Um, and a lot of the speeches that were done, and we didn't 
we didn't work on these together. It really focused on the same thing about having a voice, but doing it in a, in a professional, safe manner. Um, and I thought it was really good. You know, our community, when you look out, it's, it's extremely diverse. But I think the message was all very similar when you're looking at, at the speakers. So it was two really good nights, in my opinion, for our students, even though they weren't all together. But they, they had that outdoor graduation. And I think that was important for our community. Well, I, what I think is important for our nation is that we have such thoughtful educators as yourself and the other folks at Seaford in Seaford who I met with uh, in doing the, the podcast about Seaford. I was just really struck by how, how, how thoughtful and uh, caring uh, all of them were. And it, it, it gives me heart. It gives me hope for the rest of the country when I know that there are people like yourself working on these questions. So I really appreciate your taking the time, Dr. Miklas. I know this is a really uh, crazy time for you. You're closing up the school year and planning for next. Uh, so yeah. thank you very much. for. Um, so this wraps up not just this episode, but we're going to have one more, uh, one more podcast where Tangie and I kind of think through what we've heard, what we've learned from the uh, from all of our interviews, but that will be the wrap up for this season one of Extraordinary Districts in Extraordinary Times. I think we're going to be having some extraordinary times going forward in, uh, next year. So, so I think we'll we'll be continuing this and uh, have season two. But thank you so much, Dr. Miklas. I really do appreciate it. Thank you. If you'd like to hear more about Dr. Miklas's work, um, I hope you'll listen to episode four of season two of Extraordinary Districts, which really profiles Seaford, Delaware. If you have found this conversation valuable, I hope you'll recommend today's episode and the entire series to your friends and networks. Please leave a review wherever you get this podcast. That will help steer people in our direction. If you want to be in touch, you can email extraordinarydistricts at edtrust.org or tweet at edtrust or me at Karen Chenoweth or Tangie at remarsh76. Mike Patillo records and edits this podcast through the magic of Zoom from Tonal Park. I want to thank everyone at EdTrust who supports this podcast and thank you to the Wallace Foundation for providing financial support. Thanks and see you next time.